0: Have you ever wondered how the separate threads of your life fit in to one big picture? How the individual moments of challenge and triumph connect to one another to form the great meaning of your life? I am Anna Mullins, your life story editor, and I'm convinced that making sense of our deepest pain can help us understand our deepest purpose. In my speaker training program and on this podcast, I help people weave together those confusing, often shameful pieces of their past, revealing the life-changing lessons that create their profound new story. Welcome to Unapologetic Stories, where secrets are out, and the truth is in. Welcome back, storytellers yet another true story for season three of Unapologetic Stories podcast. I am literally jumping up and down about this week's guest, probably not literally jumping because I have wires all over me, but my heart is jumping up and down and it's maybe all the coffee I've been drinking as well, but let's just say I'm very excited. My guest is not only a superb advice giver and somebody I look up to tremendously in her professional capacity, she is also a very good friend. We met in 2018 when I was planning the very first Unapologetically Her events. Yes, she was there for the first try, in quotations, and anyone who sees you in your first try and then sticks around, you know, after seeing you at the worst version of what you might potentially be, that's a keeper. That is a keeper. She was, in fact, a panelist for our year one show, a workshop host for year two, and Our daytime MC who literally brought the house down and goodness, so many other things that year for year three, which was right before COVID pandemic hit. She is everyone's favorite showgirl, Mackenzie Chilton.
1: Mm.
0: Also (laughs) our favorite showgirl. Uh, She's also the founder and head honcho over at Love Your Mondays. That's the really important stuff that we're going to talk about later and has been helping people figure out what the fuck WTF they should do with their lives to get happy at work. And since 2013, she has literally helped people from all over the world. Thousands of people find careers that they love through her workshops and just her general content that she puts out online which is just brilliant helping people kind of move in their careers and find jobs that they love. So She's also helped me be less of a nutcase on many occasions during event planning season. Mackenzie, welcome to the show.
1: (laughs) What a great intro. (laughs) Thank you for having me. You are not a nutcase. You are. We had this inside joke about a little anxiety cupcake and it was great. (laughs) A little cupcake
0: a little cupcake (laughs) and no one ever knows that except the executive committee when they watch me like in the you know the lead up to those final weeks and how big and monumental these events are we really were running around like crazy
1: yeah and it's hard to translate how much goes into the event and I know everyone says that but I want you to think of like a wedding except we treat every guest like the bride Oh, so wow. there's like 300 brides that we're all trying to make sure have the best day ever. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much work that goes into that. And it's like a 300 person wedding, right? So like yes, full day, full events, speakers, that's the entertainment. That's the parallel I like to make with people. It's like, this is, this is bigger than a wedding. Okay.
0: (laughs) It's much bigger than a wedding. And then we have the performers. So they're like the mothers of the brides who we also have to, you know, (laughs) who have a strategy and a vision as well that they're delivering. So there's a lot that goes on like at these events and you've seen it. Um, And I just thank you so much for being a part of those three years. It was incredible. But before we kind of jump into your work and what you do out in the world, um, I will say that it has been at least 18 months, probably, since I've seen you, given mm-hmm. the pandemic, you've been mm-hmm. isolated, running your business in Squamish. Mm-hmm. How are you right now? How are things in your world? Kind of, I think I would, I want to say post-pandemic, but we're not post-pandemic. We're, we're not
1: post. Uh, we're not you post. know what? I'm good now. I did have like a, I went into like a minor hole probably a couple of weeks ago (laughs) Um, and so we're recording this in August for reference, but um, I think it was the world opening up again and then a lot of people saying like, what's new? And having to answer that question repeatedly and be like, nothing is new. I don't know. Like, where am I in my life? I feel behind. I feel, you know, um, so I think I put myself into a little hole. I'm out of it now Um, and fully enjoying the social catch-ups with people that I haven't seen in, yeah, 18 months. Um, But there was definitely a moment of like, oh, okay, this is just an adjustment period from what I was doing before, (laughs) living quietly in the forest with my dog. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And here we are. I I actually love that you're bringing this up too. And I've been in so many holes and on so many proverbial bridges this past 18 months, and trying to like navigate business and life and family and health and all of the things. But I do think that there's like an expectation that you went away and did something grand. That everybody went away into isolation and bought a dog or an air fryer or did something monumental in their business or like discovered some big dream or something. And I think those expectations are crippling, frankly, because we are in survival
1: mode. Yes. And I have a lot of friends who did that. I'm talking babies. I have four friends that just got engaged in the last three weeks. Jeez. And, you know, so there's, there are like certain things that in my circle, it does feel like people have done big things. Like my, like I did buy an air fryer though. I did, I (laughs) did. Okay, so so tell me about it. I'm just gonna start saying that I bought an air fryer, (laughs) and I became a meme lord. That's what I did in the pandemic. That's my new response. I love that. And
0: and I will say your memes have like literally kept me just afloat during the pandemic. If you are not following at Love Your Mondays yet on Instagram, please do so. Not only do you get career advice
1: and social justice work, you also get memes that are like probably the best memes and commentary that came out of the pandemic because I was you know on Instagram all the time as we all were because we had nowhere else to go um and I noticed that everything was so like dark and we're fighting about the vaccines and all this kind of stuff right and I was like okay people need to laugh and so I'm I was intentional about doing memes but now everyone like I'll meet people in real life that I haven't met um and they're like, Oh my God, we love your memes. <laughs> and I, my business coach was like, sometimes though, you just sometimes have to talk about how you help people and what you do. And I was like, you know what? The memes are helping. So <laughs> yes,
0: memes are literally help. They've definitely helped me.
1: But I mean, it also shows a side of you
0: and like your perspective and your opinion and the fact that there is humor mm-hmm. and light in dark times. I mean, I think that's part of what you do anyway. You're trying to help people get happy at work. You may as well start with trying to get happy in your life. That would be a good good jumping off point, right? They're tied, y'all. They're tied. (laughs) They're tied together. Um, I want to ask you too, speaking of a pandemic and you and I are both kind of in the helping professional world. You help people move in a career coaching direction. I help people move with storytelling. Have you seen, as I have, an influx of women, particularly who are in- you know, by virtue of the fact that they've either lost their jobs or no longer fit in their pandemic world jobs and can't find that balance. What have you noticed about that
1: in your life? So I've actually noticed people finally it's, and it's not that they've lost their jobs. I actually haven't had that many clients that they've come to me because they've lost their jobs. They've come to me because they're finally like, I don't want to spend my time doing this anymore. Right. So I, it's not hate. Some people hate their jobs and they're like flip the desk level. Like I quit. And then they come to me and they're like, I don't know. Um, that's pretty rare, but they come to me and they're like, I just know that this isn't it. Like, it's not bad. I'm grateful. I think that's a trap we often fall into is like, I'm so grateful to have work and whatever. And which is true. Yes. That's amazing. There are a lot of people that don't have work right now and you still deserve to have a job that you're thriving in and that you love and that fulfills you. So I think that gratefulness trap actually kind of got broken because now we're at home because everyone thought like working from home is amazing. Oh my gosh, Mac, you're so lucky you get to work from home. And then everyone got a taste of it last year and they realized like, oh, it's like really isolating and it's hard to be self-motivated and all these things. So I think it was a time of reflection for a lot of women that, okay, maybe this isn't what I want. And I don't have the, you know, my manager looking over my shoulder so I can start creeping at other jobs or, and then they find that they're in this, you know, they realized this job isn't for me. I've done some job searching probably, um, maybe even applied to a couple jobs, but they still have like, they're just still don't have that clarity yet. And that's when they kind of reach out to me and say like, Hey, I know this isn't it, but I don't know what the next thing is.
0: Yeah. I know this isn't it. And that's, I mean, I want to get into your kind of personal story as well and your, your backstory that brought you to this work as well, because at some point or another in your life and career, you had that light bulb go off. This is not it. Walk me kind of backwards through how did you become love your Mondays initially?
1: Yeah, so I was very lucky. I went to university, then got my masters in forensic psychology, which is law and psychology. I thought like literally when I took the course, the undergrad forensic course, I thought it meant death. Still, it doesn't. <laughs> it means law. So anything to do with law and psychology. So I did my masters research project on stalking and mass homicide. Just very school shootings, oh. that kind of stuff. So that was my very happy, very happy research thesis.
0: What? Let's just pause there for a moment. <laughs> what drew you to that, ultimately, to that research? Because that's a, I mean, a research project for a master's is a big undertaking. So to go down that road.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, it's, for it's law and psychology. So it's basically why do people break the law or how do, that's kind of like the general
0: right. topics
1: you can pick from. And I think like I was in high school when Columbine happened. And so I think that that was like really kind of pivotal to to be like, how can people do this? Right. Like how can, and it even trickled up here where certain people started wearing, like they were called the trench coat mafia. Right. And so certain people in our school started wearing trench coats and then they became problem kids just because they were, you know, and they weren't right. Um, But so for me, I always was interested in like, you know, like mafia movies and, and that kind of stuff. And I always wondered how can someone be so different in their actions or obviously their thoughts versus me who would literally never do that. Right? right. And to know that it had to be partly upbringing, it had to be partly like, you know, your biology or, you know, your support system. And so how do we navigate kind of looking at who who, who does what, and what are the choices that led them to get there? Cause it was always so strange to me. So I think for my thesis, the school shooting stuff, because you, it's, it, well, interesting in quotations, but um, they, you can't research these people after the fact, cause they all die. There's right. literally one mass murderer that's still alive and he's in Australia but the rest of them either kill themselves or it's death by cop, but like you can't ask them after. So it's all, you know, it's all this weird puzzle piece that people have to put together after the fact. So
0: yeah, just figuring out the, the, obviously the, there's a mindset, but there's also brain, the intersection of kind of what's happening in the brain, as you say, what's Mm -hmm. happening around them in their environment. Um, But I, I mean, I'm fascinated actually, as you obviously are at figuring out how people feel so alienated from Mm -hmm yeah the, the norm so the norm. to speak. I mean that that can, I think cross over into a lot of dialogues that we're having currently in the world as well. but I'm going off on a huge tangent here. So you have this yeah. master's degree and you go out in the world and where do you end up?
1: So I get my literal dream job right out of school, which I'm still so thankful for. and I still consider it like a dream job. I was the on-site therapist for people on parole and probation. And going into pre-trial. So like before you go into your sentencing. And so if you're court mandated, basically, you know, in the movies, you see that court mandated to see a counselor. I was the counselor. Right. Right. And so people are like, "Why why is that your dream job? And I love an underdog. So I felt like I was helping people that literally nobody wanted to help. Like if anybody talks about tax dollars going towards, you know, criminals, it's off the table. Nobody wants to help these people. Right. Right. Even though the, the opportunity cost, like the benefit would be so much greater if we did help them. Yes. Yes. Um, so I felt like I was helping people that nobody else wanted to help. I was seeing a change. I was seeing like some of these men like get jobs and find stable housing, which is like unheard of. Um, and the day-to-day, like the stories I was hearing from them were so different, heartbreaking um and interesting so it kept the day-to-day work kind of life very interesting um, through their stories right yeah Yeah.
0: always yeah
1: and so I think that if anybody could sit down with these people and I worked with medium to high-risk violent male offenders so I always use that as like a fun fact like I've met over 50 murderers in my life like um and if you sat across from them though, and had a conversation and heard their story, except for one guy in four years, one guy, um, you wouldn't be surprised that they ended up where they were, mm. right? The system failed them as children. They were in abusive foster care situations that they had to stay into because that was the only stable thing. And I'm talking like at six years old, they made that decision to stay, right? Six or seven. Um, so yeah. so. That's kind of like the, the thing is I have a, a lot of empathy for people. And yeah. of course, like we should be accountable for things that we've done. But if you sat and heard a lot of these men's stories, you wouldn't be shocked that they ended up where they did.
0: Right. And I think that's, that's kind of, I think the beautiful crossover in forensic psychology is it's not that we're dismantling the law. We're kind of trying to dig in and figuring out why people are doing what they do. So exactly. Yeah. I, gosh, I love that. So you're in this dream job, obviously it sounds fascinating, stressful, probably a little scary. Like I'm having some heart palpitations.
1: But but the thing is like, I was someone that they knew I couldn't say anything within certain parameters. And I was probably like the first person that had listened to them in years. So (laughs) like they would leave my office crying and I'm talking like, these are gangster guys. Right. Um, And they would leave my office bawling and the probation officers would be like, what are you doing in there? (laughs) You're like listening. I'm listening. Yeah, I'm literally barely saying anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was when the, if you're in the lower mainland, it was like when the UN gang and the red scorpion gang were like really kind of heated. So yeah, dream job. Then they cut our funding. So Mm -hmm. if you want to get mad about something, there is no onsite therapist in any parole probation office which means I had to outsource all of my clients to the community, which was a six month wait list. If they would even go then, like they had to see me, right. They were court mandated to see me. I had to sign something. Um, so yeah, so now basically these people aren't getting help. So if you, if you either are scared of them or you actually believe in therapeutic properties of like helping people like you, you should be mad about this. Right. Like, so there's no support now for these people that are back kind of out off, out of jail. Um, so I got real fired up and I can still, as you can tell, get fired up about this,
0: but is this like, did you lose your job during this funding cut? Is that kind of, Oh my God. I don't know if I've ever
1: known that. There's no, there's no therapist now. And there was five of us that did 20 offices. So we were all like kind of part time at each office. Um, so they cut our funding for three more probation officers' jobs. Wow. So it's that idea of like surveillance and like punishment versus like therapy and whatever. Of course. Um, this was Stephen Harper as well. So that kind of makes sense. Yep. Um, that out. So cut our funding yep. and then. I was like, the system is the problem. (laughs) I'm going to go fix the system. Of course. So I went into, I became a policy analyst and was working in one of the health authorities here. And that job just like was the first job that I imagine a lot of my clients feel where it was like sucking the life out of me
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: I had to commute it ended up being almost like two and a half hours each way because I took transit this is why I eventually got a car but um I remember doing that for the first little bit and it was like bus sky train bus which I know a lot of people do but it was just a lot of my day was yeah, getting yeah.
0: To work it's draining
1: then at work I was sitting all day which is something mm-hmm. I wasn't really used to I was doing data entry and I had my master's degree like not the data entry is not a needed thing, but like I did that for free to volunteer to get into grad school, you know? Right, right. So I just, I wasn't being utilized. Yeah, yeah, wasn't being utilized. And I felt like this is it. Like this is a government job. This is the pension. This is the benefits. Like my parents were stoked (laughs) that I got this amazing job. There was a clear ladder for me to climb, right? And I was so sick that year. I got the flu like three times. I, you know, was just lethargic and just not feeling myself. Mm -hmm. And I had a boss who we just probably in hindsight didn't have the same, a good personality match. Right. Um, I have also decided that I'm not a great employee.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that later. Cause I sometimes yeah. think that about myself
1: as well, but we'll yeah. talk about that I yet. mean, unless, yeah, unless I think you're smart. So anyways, we didn't get <laughs> along uh, that well. And because I felt like I was being underutilized, um, this person ended up taking full credit for my work. So I wrote like the suicide policy for the province so if you or someone, you know, is having suicidal feelings and you go to a hospital, like they follow the policy that I wrote. Wow. Um, so that was an aside, but anyways, they didn't renew my contract, which is fancy HR speak for, they fired me (laughs) (laughs) after a year, they actually didn't renew my contract and they didn't hire anyone else for the role, but,
0: and stole your work at the same time. So that's fun.
1: Yep. Yeah. Oh man. And so that just is a little segue story that firing process was hilarious because she fully up in the air me I don't know if you've seen that movie with George Clooney and they, yes. he goes around firing people yes. and she fully did that to me and was just like you don't like it here anyway do you and I was like no <laughs> I don't and she's like what do you want to do and I was like I'm not this and so I left and then 20 minutes later I was like fuck I just got up in the air <laughs> <laughs> you just got taken right out yeah <laughs>
0: Oh um, God.
1: So there yeah. I was like in this place. So now, right, I've gone to school for almost eight years. Mm-hmm. I had my dream job. I thought I knew what I was gonna do. And now I've you know I've been laid off from the lower mainland. I could have gone to work in like a larger prison, like out in Agassiz or Kingston, Ontario, but right. um that didn't vibe with the lifestyle I wanted, basically. Yeah. And so I found myself in a place being literally like, what the fuck am I going to do now? What am I going to do with my life? Like yeah, I literally, thought, WTF. Yeah. I thought that this was my plan. I thought that I had it all figured out and I was probably like 29 at the time. And I was talking to my friends and you know, they were in marketing roles or they had gone to school for journalism or all these like very different things and they felt the same. So I think a lot of us, whether you went to university or not, you have this idea of what the job will be based on like the title of it, right? Because whatever you see in the movies, like I have tons of friends in advertising, it is not like bad men. <laughs> um, but so you you get this kind of like dream sold to you, like marketing, so cool. Like you're you know you're this is what I imagine marketing. You're going up for dinners and schmoozing, and it's not that when you're starting, no, right? Nope. No. Um, And so a lot of my friends were in the same place and I was like, okay, how do we figure this out? Mm -hmm. So I went to a career coach because I was in that kind of space, a career counselor, career coach. I went to a career coach. It was so boring. I had to fill out all of these standardized tests for like three sessions. I had to fill out tests, like multiple choice. And then it spit out that I should be a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
0: you spend money
1: on this. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Great. So what's the good alternative And it's literally like things that you can Google now with like your um, Myers-Briggs and it tells you like for what sure. personality you're suited for. Right. And I'm like a helping person. So I should be a therapist, a teacher, a nurse, basically. hundred percent. Yep. Been yeah. there, done that. Yep. Yeah. And I feel like that those are good jobs, obviously, but it doesn't, like have the nuance of like, why do you want to be a nurse? Like, what is it about helping people? Or like, do you really just love blood? Like I have a nurse friend and she just loves needles and blood. And that's (laughs) right. So yeah. I mean, and helping people, but I think that that the standardized tests, they cannot work because we are not standard people. And I will get on my soapbox about this because how can you expect someone that, you know, has the same birthday or whatever they're, they're using to make these, these jumps, right. Say that like, you're all suited to be teachers. That's right. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So there, there was that aspect of it. And I was just like, okay, this isn't helping me figure out how I want to what I want to do. So I had done some value work and that is so important. So if you value work is essentially like um, figuring out what really truly lights you personally up, what are the things that get you into that flow state and those things that get you into that, like elusive alignment that all coaches talk about, right? If you've ever seen any life coach website, it's normally the word alignment is on there. Um and people don't know what their values are right so I didn't then one of my top values is freedom and if you look at that government job
0: oh my god stop I need to stop you right here because um hold on to that thought I took Mackenzie's course by the way at the beginning of the pandemic because we were all shifting and nobody knew what was going on and everybody (laughs) was like I was I was crazy cupcake and nothing made sense anymore so I took Mackenzie's course and was it the, what the fuck sessions?
1: What did I, I don't even remember. That, that. was, that was the original course. It was the called original. what the F sessions. And right. now it's the Monday method. We've right. grown up. We've, we've got a little up. more yeah. in it. It's yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, which is the awesome.
1: original name of the course, which is what the F sessions. <laughs> the What the F sessions.
0: So I took what the F sessions and I took it specifically for this value work that you're talking about this mm. really, because I even thought. I had been doing the same thing now for many years. Now I couldn't. I couldn't do events. Like I just couldn't. It wasn't a thing. Yeah. Pivot to virtual, but it just didn't feel right for me to be between a no. screen between me and my audience. It just didn't really light me up. And so I really was like, holy fuck, literally. Like, what is what values? What what am I grounded in here? I can't mm-hmm. think of what that is now, because bringing people together in rooms felt like my value. And I'm like, oh god, now I don't have that. So. Right. I did this literally I did your course specifically for the value stuff and I stopped you in that moment because my top value is freedom too. Yeah. That's actually what came out for me and I can still because you took us through I won't give it away but take us through sort of visualizations mm-hmm. in order to figure out what values are kind of rooted in the visualizations that sort of arise for you yeah. during these almost meditations. And I can actually recall the visualization of me just like wandering down like a boardwalk next to the ocean and like just deciding on the spur of the moment with no plan to like pop into a restaurant or pop in and just grab a drink here. But then also just maybe, do you want to just pop down to the beach? Okay, so this freedom of just being able to really think about what my body was telling me to do in that moment. And those of you who have listened to me for a while will know that dealing with chronic pain, this is something that I do anyway. I have to say, what, what is my body telling me in this moment that I need?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: what is my body telling me that's good for like kind of mental health work as well. But in any case, that was a huge tangent, but a valuable one. Cause I think,
1: so you had this value come up for yourself as well, which was freedom. Which was freedom. And, and the, the interesting self. thing The interesting thing is that my definition of freedom and your definition of freedom will be so different. And I think it's a missed opportunity if you don't figure out what that difference is. And
0: what was it for you?
1: What was your definition of freedom? So mine initially, if I look back, was location-based freedom. Like I can be anywhere, but now it's truly like freedom of time. Ah, Yeah. But if you look at when I was working at that government job, when I got so sick and I was so lethargic and I was like, what is, this is just life now. I guess this is cubicle life. Um, I thought that that's what work was supposed to be, that you weren't supposed to like your job. And this is just part of it. And this is a great in quotations job with the government, take it. But looking back now, nothing about that job was free. Nothing. Like I didn't have freedom of like task, we couldn't even leave the property kind of for lunch because of where it was located so we didn't have that time freedom I was spending so much time getting there so my whole day was like a 10-hour day of work um so nothing about that job was free and I truly think my body was making me sick because yeah. I hated it so much yeah, and it was like that's true why aren't you stopping so I'm going to physically make you not be able to go in right, right? yeah
0: yep I feel, I mean, mine was a little different. I was literally in like a car wreck, but I feel the same way. I was like, the universe was probably just like, okay, and crash, bang, boom, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> literally. Like, we're just going to take you right off whatever this path is that you think you're on. And even mm-hmm. though I thought it was tickety-boo, I thought I had tons of freedom in that job, actually. Like in, yeah. in my own, in that old value system, I was like, mm. this, because the money was so regular and so steady and the pension was there, it felt like freedom. But in hindsight, of course-
1: And I certainly
0: didn't have a chronic pain condition in at that time. So I didn't think of freedom in the same way, but our lives do change and our stories do change and we become Mm -hmm. new versions of ourselves and create new visions. I'm curious, actually, I know we're kind of walking us there to you kind of launching this company, love your Mondays, which makes sense. Obviously from a brand perspective, we want to love our jobs, love the careers we're in and be more happy. Can you define for us, like, what would be the difference between and I'm gonna say this very carefully because I'm careful about this. You are intentional. difference between having an idea Mm -hmm. and having a passion that we're kind of driven towards almost in the sense of like, I love doing this and therefore I want it to be my job, um, different than having an actual vision and a plan. Mm -hmm. What would be the, how do we kind of navigate that space? Because I know a lot of entrepreneurs and I meet a lot of entrepreneurs who say, I have this big idea but that doesn't necessarily make
1: it a vision for a career path. Right. So I think one, we have to break down like this idea of passion. And I think we've been sold this like thing that you need to be passionate about your job forever and, or whatever it is, your hobby, whatever, you need to find a passion. And that is the only way you will be fulfilled in this community, in this society. Right? Yes. But the thing with passion is by definition that it burns out and that it fades. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not looking for people to find their passion and make that their whole life and their whole job, because that by definition will change and fade. So a passion is kind of like something you get really excited about. Maybe it's more of a project based if you want to like, think about it as a metaphor. Whereas a vision is my, my actual vision is just to get people happier. Hmm. Okay. So I think people will be, if people are happier, the world will be a better place. That's like, that's it. Society would be better. We'll be nicer to each other. A lot of things would be solved if people were just genuinely happier with themselves. Agreed. So that's the vision. How I do that is through people's work. But so if, if I want to change and shift my business idea or, and this can't even be working with, with, within a company, I don't like fully um, just work with entrepreneurs. I do work with a lot of entrepreneurs, but um, so that's the vision is just get people happier. So maybe that translates into me doing something within companies for leadership, or maybe it's still the same thing. But so I think the difference between a passion is something that is, you're really excited about it. It has a lot of heat to it. Um, versus a vision that is, it's staying power, right? And your vision is directly linked to your values. So if you don't know what your values are, you can't get clarity. All my clients want clarity. That's what everybody comes before. I just want to know what to do next, Mm. right? And so, but they don't have a vision. They want to have an impact. Okay, with what? With who? Who are we helping? And what is that clear vision? And then from there, there's so many opportunities and they're all going to be amazing options for you. But getting the vision first, I think is, is really important. So I actually just worked with a client and she was, you know, she was, had this idea to work with, um, teen girls to work on their confidence and body issues through food. So through like cooking classes or like amazing, amazing. Um, and I said, what's the vision? And she, we worked on it a little bit and it's basically for people to have trust in themselves. That's the vision. Yeah. That's the end goal that we want, right? Love that. Okay, but people get so attached to it has to look like this workshop teaching teens, yeah, which is good. But what are the other things that you can do? That is writing a book about it. You can work for a company that has that same um, vision as you, right? So it's really about getting to the root of what the vision is based on your values. Yeah. And then there's a multitude of career options for you from that.
0: Yes. I love this. It just speaks to like the core of what I teach as well. So I love yeah. this. I'm like lighting up as you're saying this, because I often say your purpose is just almost never defined by a job. In fact, it can't be no. your purpose is, I mean, you call it your vision, obviously, but it's the same thing. I think we're talking to here, which is, mm. is such a big takeaway that whether a job channels that vision or whether a hobby channels that vision or whether a conversation with a stranger channels that vision, anything can kind of channel your vision. And as I mean, certainly from the storytelling angle, it's like, you could stand on a stage. You might write a book. You might actually just not do any of those things and you may just journal at night in your bed as well. You may never actually share your story out loud to a room full of 300 Mm -hmm. people. You may never actually have this business model that, functions entirely the way in the how to the what you're doing
1: versus the why you're doing it so I love
0: this Mackenzie and I think
1: there's so many people that think that they need to get their fulfillment from their work right and I'm very intentional that I think you should enjoy your work because you spend a third of your life there as an adult Right. but there is a fine line of like I love what I do And I'm, I love working, right. Whereas some people, and this is also okay, is that they work to do the other things that they love. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. I, gosh, I love this so much. I'm, I'm curious too. obviously you made a huge change and even though you were sort of up in the air and you were, you were up in the air outside of whatever you were currently doing, which you weren't loving anyway. Yeah. You start this company, Love Your Mondays. You start with kind of workshops and classes, Mm -hmm. I think, right? You're now speaking, you do all kinds of things. Um, But this is like a huge change. Like this is a pivot point for you. You had to literally change everything you currently thought about the way that your vision would live out in the world. Mm -hmm. You create an entire company of it. There's a certain mindset that comes into play when making big changes. Talk to us about anyone out there listening right now that's thinking this is not it. And I need to make a change. Mm -hmm. Is there a core kind of fundamental mindset needed for making
1: change? Yeah, I would say that there's two mindset pieces specifically around change because most clients I work with eventually leave their jobs. Right. So that's a huge thing. So the first thing to know is that your body and your, and your brain, are trying to keep you safe, right? They're not, your brain's job is not to make you happy, it's to keep you safe. Correct. And so staying where you know, that's safe. So if you're thinking about quitting, your brain and your, you know, the anxiety, your blood pressure is gonna rise is because you don't know what that unknown thing is, right? So your brain and your body are gonna do everything in their power to keep you safe, which is, for example, at your current job. Right, because you know what that is. Right. So just kind of untangling that. And we do some exercises with like just trying one thing that you don't know and recognizing what your body does in that moment when right before you, you know, take your first yoga class for the first time or right before you jump off a cliff, like whatever it is, yes. it can range with a harness um, and,
0: on. Yeah. With a harness on.
1: <laughs> and then notice after that you are fine right. To notice that you're actually okay after in your body and your brain to teach, to build up that muscle. Right. So that's, that's the first thing is that recognizing that there's going to be a lot of things that are trying to keep you exactly where you are because it's safe. Um, the second piece, which is really trippy for people and it's hard. This is a hard one that you have to really like sit with is that any decision you make will be great. Right. Right. So people often think that if I choose this thing, then the other one was wrong. There are no right and wrong decisions. They're just the ones that you pick. So I always use the example. I, I have a huge interest in interior design. I could have gone into that world and had another different version of an amazing life, Mm. but I had to pick. So I picked career coaching. Right. And this life is also amazing. It's different, but you know, you do have to just pick and it doesn't mean that I wouldn't have had a great time as an interior designer or that this one is right, but you do have to decide. And I think people get really caught up in that. This is the right decision or the wrong decision. Your life is going to be awesome. No matter what, right. We have, we have the tools to make that true. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the other mindset piece because people put so much weight on it.
0: Yeah, I was talking to actually my partner at the self-publishing agency quite a while ago now and we were having a conversation about like the goal is just to like open the next door. The goal is not to know all of the people that are going to be in that room and and what's going to come out of that and what the outcome is and whether or not there's an exit plan. It's like at this point, just get the door open, walk in and learn something new because once you learn that thing, meet that next person, do that next thing, step into that next action, all of that information that comes with that set you up for the next right step. Anyway, I'm quoting like frozen two at this point, but it's like <laughs> the, the next right thing, you know, yes. just, we've spiraled downhill. Now we're just in Disney. Yeah. World. But this is, I, I love that. I just, I love that as a takeaway. So when people are actually figuring out how do I have a career or a job that I love, how can I be doing more of what I love? One of the ways to figure that out, I know we've talked about values and really grounding into that One of the ways, of course, is actually employing, as I do constantly and you do constantly, an actual human who can walk you through some of this, who has some lived experiences. I want you to tell us about your signature program, which I know has kind of had this beautiful rebrand. It's now called the Monday Method. Tell me what can people expect if they're at that calling where they know this is not it, I need change. What does the Monday Method offer?
1: So it is the adult version. I like to say we got an upgrade. It's what the F sessions like 2.0. So there's a lot, a lot more in there for people that maybe, you know, I think there's also, this is a little asterisk that a lot of people get, you know, sold that you should work for yourself dream. Um, and that's amazing if that's what you want to do. But I, and a lot of career coaches are business coaches in disguise, I like to say. So the Monday method is four steps. I I like to make things, my brain works on efficiency. So I really like to make things as efficient as I can. And this has been kind of tweaked and tested. This is what I've been doing with clients since probably 2018. And so the money method is a four-step system, which I, I I love it, and it just gets people the clarity that they want, and they and end up happier which is the ultimate goal right so the first step is we have to work on the mindset so i've given you two kind of ideas there we also talk about what are the three components for a dream career how much money do you actually have to earn because a lot of people stay or are afraid about money and but they don't know what they're going to do with that money so we do a whole thing on like money mindset we talk about how you need to de-stress and how you can do that daily so that you have the Energy and availability to access all these other opportunities that are there, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and then we do the values work, which is what you came for. Like, it's that's my favorite module. That's that session two, and it is truly like how do you get into that alignment that we're all trying to find, right? And, and your values again are just things that you care about personally. So versus morals, which are taught to you, your values are things that you learn personally. Oh, that's an interesting distinction. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so how do we integrate those then? So yeah, I say freedom is my value. How am I living that in my actions every day so that I'm making decisions that line, get you into that alignment. So I turned down a pretty huge brand in the summer because they didn't feel like the ocean to me. And ocean is one of my values. And people were like, why, how did you decide that? And I was like, I just, I'm living in my values and I just could I can't explain it and in hindsight it was the best decision for me right which would have sucked me into this totally weird role and uh, so then the third module is job design and that is what people think they're getting right away but you can't do career planning and strategy around job design without having a clear mind ready to make a change and knowing what you care about so we need to have those first two things right yeah. So job design, there's a few different exercises in there for people to look at what are the intersections of my skills and my interests, not I'm trying to make you a well-rounded person and you need to, you know, have absolutely everything in your wheelhouse. And then there's an action plan. So the next module is for people that they fit into three categories. So people that want to stay in their current role, but they want to raise their strategies for how you get that promotion. If you want to quit your job but work for someone else then there's that part of the module is how do you find a company we do resumes we do interview tips and but because you've created that job design you know exactly what you're looking for and you know exactly what to look for in the job applications as well so smart and then the third type of kind of person is starting their own business so you have an idea You want to launch it. And I call this baby business coaching because it is not everything (laughs) that you'll need, but you'll be able to get your first client and run them through a set type of program or bring a product to market after doing that. So so it's really holistic and it's getting run in a live version. So normally it's self-study and you can do it whenever you'd like, but I'm going to do a live version. That's amazing. Yeah, at the end of September. So I'll be walking the community through each module as we go. Um, yeah, and it's just so beautiful. The community is awesome too. So it's group coaching. There is an option for one on ones, although I do take very like limited because it's a lot of work to do one on one capacity for that. Um, but the group coaching is awesome. I was doing one, and I was in. Um, I had to be in a two week like lockdown, and our power went out where we were staying, and the groups stayed on and like kept coaching each other, which was just so beautiful to hear after my power came back on. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, first of all, I love this. I love
0: this so much. I, I loved your program. I would highly and I do recommend it to many people that I work with. I think it's like getting to the heart of those values. It changes everything. It really does when you do that work first and then step into kind of, and now what do I do with this? And how yeah. does that kind of come out into the world? How does that manifest? I um. I'm, Curious about a couple of things. One, where can we find you? I know I mentioned your handle at the top of the program, but at Love Your Mondays, and where else can
1: they find the information about the Monday Method? So I am on Instagram way too much, probably, but slip into my DMs if you have any questions. Um, I'm super happy to have like conversations in there. Uh, the MondayMethod.com is where all of the program info is. My website is LoveYourMondays.com. Video, but the MondayMethod.com has all the program info in there. Perfect, and that'll be in the show notes as well. But I always like you to say it out loud in yeah. case
0: anybody just kind of logs it into memory as well and doesn't go and click on anything. But the MondayMethod.com. Um, I'm going to take you in as we kind of wrap our episode together. Even though I could talk to you for hours, but that is that's yeah. coming. Up. We need a wine date. We need to just we need to just talk and talk. Maybe we'll record it. Um, I I'm going to kind of pivot into. My secrets are out segment. and I have a couple of kind of rapid fire questions for you. You <laughs> talked a little bit about capacity and about just mental wellness and of course at the top of the show you talked us through your little black hole that you fell into for a couple of weeks recently. Um, I want to know first and foremost, what's your kind of guilty pleasure for self-care? That sounds really dirty, but it does sound dirty' I'm dirty.
1: What's I mean, we were talking about this, but I like to watch trash TV. Like we can't use our brains. I remember when I was in school, I would watch The Bachelorette all the time and my friends would be so shocked because I'm not like a an avid reality TV fan, but I was like, I don't, I cannot think anymore. Yeah. Yes.
0: And it's so, I mean, we know you and I know it, like everybody knows it's so problematic. These shows, and it's funny, oh, yeah. I actually had in my fourth year of university, which I think was probably a couple of years before. You're, you were in university. Now that I'm thinking about which shows were on at that time, we were. I was watching the original Temptation Island. So if that, <laughs> you'll know where where that yeah. date came to. But yeah. it was in, in and around, I'm going to say 2004, give or take. And I had a roommate at that time. And I used to like, z- I used to just zone out. I used to just guilty pleasure myself with temptation Island garbage crop. Like yeah. it was nonsense. And she was very particular. She actually wouldn't let me um, flush the toilet if it was like a number one, like she was very, uh, a, yellow a, little, is a little bit neurotic like that. Yeah and all really well-intentioned, but she, you know, she, yep. it, it was an interesting year. Let me say that, <laughs> finding college roommates. In any case, um, she used to say, I don't understand how you can take this big, high-level academic brain and watch this trash, basically. Exactly and mm-hmm. uh, And I was like, that's exactly why. That's yeah. exactly why I need to not care about this so much that my mm-hmm. brain won't light up, have an idea, think a thing. Even though I can see the problems in it. It's like, I don't feel like I need to solve them. I think that's, you know, it's not, that's just not my thing. So anyway, yes. Guilty pleasure. That's
1: probably like the guiltiest. I love a good bath. I used to like this past year in the pandemic, I would have like three hour long tubs and just like watch movies.
0: Yes. yes I'm a I'm a tv movie veg out person too I love I love tv yeah. and movies I just love oh I love stories so okay I want to know my next secrets are out kind of question here what worries you the most right now either in
1: life or the world it's literally like how long do you have though <laughs> <laughs> I mean the two biggest things are racial inequality and climate change yeah like I sleep I yeah, okay. over that shit all the time uh, yeah and
0: I know you've reached out to me in the past like literally in tears about I think it was a, a climate change thing. The recently.
1: trees. The I tr- called the calling about the trees yeah yeah it's so interesting that was like a, another like kind of break for me because a lot of other things injustices I just skipped over the sadness and went straight to rage mm. for a, a long time but the trees I just like felt so hopeless in that moment yeah.
0: Yeah. We all have our things, right. I mean, I feel hopeless about a lot of things and really like, no, actually I shouldn't say that. I don't feel hopeless about a lot of things. I feel concerned, deeply concerned and distressed about a lot of things happening in the world. Um, But we have those things that just really trigger us in a deeper way. Like we know, again, going back to like, what are your core values? Even your social justice work has a core value. It's like the thing that really connects. And I'm watching like oh, there's the state of the world with the Afghan women right now. I just, I can't, I'm in, I'm in teary zone around that. That's really like, I'm feeling not hopeless, but just I'm scrambling for ways to make change in that space. So I feel you so much there. Okay. So my last and final question is what is next for the true story of Mackenzie Chilton? We know you have this program coming up, but from a personal
1: perspective, what is next? What's the greatest next step for your story? step in Mackenzie's story is finding her partner doesn't need to be a husband and having a cute baby. So anybody listening, this is my pitch to you. And I've said this to my friends. If you have a hot single man in your life that would get down with this, you get free (laughs) wine for life. If whoever matches me with my partner gets free wine for life,
0: free wine for life. I mean, if I wasn't married, I'd probably get down with that. So like, Listen. I mean, but
1: you—if you have single friends, if you do the hooking up—is what I'm saying.
0: I will do it. I will take. <laughs> <the> free We'll <wine. laughs> take the free wine, yeah. um, and I mean, even though I can't marry you or deliver you a cute baby, I will be your friend for life. You have been an amazing support system to me, and I just love you so freaking much, personally and professionally. I think you're just an absolute genius, and thank you for being on the
1: show. The feeling is so mutual and I can't, I still remember the first phone call emails that we had and I can't remember like life before Anna. (laughs) That's so how I feel. Like what was life like before Mackenzie? Because it would have been very boring
0: and lacking in value, I think in many ways. So thank you so much for sharing your value with our storytellers and God, I'm going to have you back for sure. I want to have you back. hundred percent. thank you for joining this edit of the unapologetic stories podcast if you're ready to share your truth and rewrite your personal life story connect with me at unapologeticstories.com for all the details on speaker training storytelling and strategizing your way through this one big life if you've enjoyed listening we would love for you to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast listening app or Apple Podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Unapologetic Anna for new speaker training start dates. Until next time, stay brave, stay unapologetic, and keep bringing in your truth.